Hey, would you guys open your Bibles to James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13? As uh, Charles said, we are continuing our series on uh, faith works, which is that our faith um, is not dead, right? But faith actually works in real life. That faith is not something theoretical. Faith is not just a concept. But faith is dynamic. It's something that affects us in real life, in real time. And today we're going to be talking about mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And specifically, we're going to talk about partiality and favoritism. And it's been a while. And so this morning, I have a great present for you guys. You guys know it's already, it's already coming. It's the Filipino word of the day. Here we go. All right. So this one is hot off the press. I, I, I literally laughed out loud when I got this, all right? It's from J.P. Lamb. Of all the places, J.P. Lamb sent me this. And uh, the Philippine word of the day is something that we're all familiar with. Um, it's like a ride-sharing company, companies, uh, Lyft and Uber, right? Lyft and Uber. And so uh, a, a non-Filipino, how they would use Lyft and Uber in a sentence is, you know, the advent of ride-sharing companies like Lyft, Uber, Via, and Juno have rendered traditional taxicab companies obsolete. But how would a Filipino use the word Lyft and Uber in a sentence? Hey, man, no, I cook too much food. I think I have Lyft Uber. <laughs> oh, come on. Lyft Uber. Come on. All right, let's all stand together. Oh, goodness gracious. Don't be pretending like you're not going to use it. You're going to use it. All right, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, hey, stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Interesting. Verse 5, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor or the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality or favoritism or prejudice, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the whole law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. 
mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded, Lord God, of you, Jesus, and how you said that you desire mercy over sacrifice. Lord, from our devotions yesterday, you um, chastised the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers because they tithe, they do all these things outwardly, but they don't show mercy to the poor, to the desolate, to the outcast. Lord, may it never be said of us, O Lord God, that there's favoritism amongst us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we uh, study your word, that you would uh, examine our hearts Would you expose the ugliness of pride? Would you reveal, O Lord God, areas in our lives where we have evil thoughts through our partiality, through our favoritism, through our um, prejudice, through our discrimination? Lord, we want to be more like you every, every day in every way. So, Father, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, will give us grace, you'll give us strength to love you, to follow you, to obey you, Lord, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So let's go ahead and just get right straight to the point here. Here's the main point in these 13 verses. Would you write this down? It's in your notes. Partiality in all its forms is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus. Let me say that again. Partiality in all of its forms. In what ways can we show partiality? Number one, we could show it through favoritism, right? Number two, we could show it through prejudice. Number three, we could show it through uh, discrimination. And it doesn't matter whether we do it because of sexism or ageism, if we do it because of people's ethnicity, right? Partiality in all of its forms is antithetical. Kind of a big word, but it simply means it's the complete opposite, okay? So here's a thesis. Remember writing a paper in college? You have to have a thesis, which is your main point. Antithetical or antithesis means it's the complete opposite. So meaning that when you and I entertain, when we live out partiality or favoritism, It is complete opposite of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are kicking against the goads, that we are opposing the very heart of God. We're opposing the very uh, centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That partiality, whether it comes through the form of favoritism. You know, Ephesians 5 says, hey, fathers, do not agitate your children. I always wonder what that meant. And, you know, the, word I, the more I studied it, the more I've come to realization that, man, parents, there's been so many dysfunction in families because of favoritism. Whether it's because they were born first, right? Whether they're the eldest or the youngest. Whether because they're the only girl or the only boy. Favoritism is antithetical to the gospel. It opposes God. When you and I walk in partiality or favoritism or prejudice, right, that we are going against the heart of God and what He is trying to do. And so, 
there's three reasons. I'll, I'll break down these 13 verses, and I'll give you the three reasons why. Number one, would you write down, partiality dishonors God. Partiality or favoritism or prejudice, it dishonors God. Let's look at our verse. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, uh, R.P. Martin, on his, Dr. Martin, on his um, commentary, on word biblical commentary on James chapter 2 says, don't mix up your faith with favoritism. And you see here, they're, they're like juxtaposed to each other. That faith in Jesus Christ should not, or um, the Jesus Christ, the gospel, the Lord of glory, that's found in Psalm 28. Who can we compare to, the Lord, to our mighty God? Who can we compare to the Lord of glory? Psalm 28 says that. And here you have the Lord of glory put next to what? Favoritism. So what James is saying is that favoritism and partiality and faith in Jesus and the gospel don't mix. That you, you have something so precious and so valuable like the Lord of glory and you're putting it right next to what? Partiality. Oh, I like you because you look like me, you talk like me, you, have the, you were in the same social economic background, we live in the same neighborhood, right? You have the same skin tone as me, we went through the same school, that that sort of thinking does not go with the Lord of glory. And so starting in verse 2 then, up to verse 7, um, Paul, uh, not Paul, but James, he described, he starts using this uh, rhetoric called a diatribe. What is a diatribe? A diatribe is a rhetoric that's used by Greek philosophers and Paul uses it in Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 5 and 6 where Paul, he, he makes an argument and he anticipates like this opponent that someone that would like, oh, well, that doesn't really say that. So what he does is he uses question and answer. He anticipates a question that someone in the crowd may have and he answers that, okay? And so here's the deal. A majority of the people in... James's time, the church was there, a majority of them were poor. 90% of the people in the ancient Greco-Roman times, they were poor. 8% were wealthy. 2%, only 2% had the ability to move from poverty to middle class. So there's this big giant chasm between wealthy and, and the poor those who have and those who have not. And it's very, you know, it's kind of, it's a very con foreign concept for us here in America. You know, I come from a family of immigrants. My, my family moved here in May of 1988. Started, my dad started a church in inner city, downtown Los Angeles in Echo Park. Okay, and that, that is where we started this small Filipino church. In the span of six years, my dad was able to buy a house. And from buying a house, he was able to send his kids to college. All four of us went to school, graduated from college, to have their masters. And 
It just goes to show that this, this America is a great place to rise out of poverty and to make something out of yourself. But in James's time, the poor stayed poor and the rich stayed rich. And so when he talks about, he makes this thesis that, hey, don't show any partiality, brothers and sisters, as you hold on to the faith, as you hold on faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, what he's basically um, addressing is that there's this cultural thing where the rich made the poor people show them honor so that they would walk around with rings. The average person back then only had one cloak, and the rich would have multiple cloaks with different colors, and they would have the, the poor, you know, if, if they were a synagogue, they would meet at church the, the synagogue was also a community where they would have community meetings and they would discuss amongst themselves. So that when they would meet either for church or community meeting, it was cultural for the poor to like, oh, the rich person's here, get out of my seat, here, have my... And so what James is saying, hey, don't conform to how this world is. Because when you do that, you and I, we dishonor God, look at Romans chapter 2, verse 11. For God shows no partiality. God does not show any favoritism. When Abraham, when he intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and, and Abraham knew that God was going to uh, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham pleaded with God, Lord, please, please don't do that. Shall, how about if there's 50 righteous people? How about if there's about 25, 20, 10, 5? If there's any righteous people, and here's his thought, shall not the righteous judge of the earth do what is right? That he's not going to show any favoritism? That he's not going to kill the wicked, the righteous along with the wicked? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God above gods and he's the lord above lords or amongst lords here it is the great god mighty and awesome who shows no partiality and he and accepts no bribes who people reject and cast aside god accepts because he does not show partiality. He's not a respecter of persons. Who people overlook. Do you guys remember how David was chosen? The youngest, ruddy. He was just out in the field. His own dad didn't even consider that he might be the breaking. Oh, look at my other sons who are tall and handsome. And you have this red-headed boy looking after sheep. And what does David, what is described when, when, he went, he, uh, the, when he speaks to the, his father, Jesse, God looks on the outside, oh, man looks on the outside, but God looks on the inside. The very heart of God, listen to me, guys, is for the outcast. Remember that whole drama with Abraham and Isaac? And Abraham... Remember that whole spiel about Hagar being casted off, the concubine of Sarah. And remember, Sarah, uh, Hagar got kicked out and thrown, and she was going to be out in the wilderness to die. And then the ministering angel ministered, gave her water, gave her food, and protected her. 
This is the very heart of God. The outcast, those who are bullied, those who are neglected, those who are forgotten, those are the people that God remembers. Those are the people that God accepts. Those are the people whom God includes. So when you and I show favoritism, we're going against the very character of who God is. He is this Lord of glory. We shouldn't mix in favoritism to who the Lord of glory is. Number two, would you write down, not only does uh, favoritism or partiality dishonors God, but partiality dishonors God's people. Let's look at verses 2 to 7. And here is the scenario of the diatribe, okay? Where he makes up a scenario and he asks questions and he, James is going to answer it. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, have you not then made distinction amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he had promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the one who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So Renee did an excellent job last week. Uh, James, a lot of what James does is that he, um, he reflects on or he um, explains further Matthew 5, which is the Beatitudes. Now, in the Bible, there's two kinds of poor, all right? There's the literal poor, right, who have nothing. And there's the poor in spirit, those who are humble and meek. Those who are spiritually uh, in poverty, knowing that they need God. Now, the poor, the literal poor, they're blessed, according to Matthew chapter 5. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Why? Because those who are poor are dependent on God to provide for them. That those who are poor are completely reliant, that they're not like, well, I got my degrees, I got my savings, I have my 401k, I have my retirement, I have equity in my home, right? The poor have literally, which is 90% of the population back then, the poor have nothing. All they have is the Lord. All they have is, is to look to God to provide for them. So when we, when James, he makes us a sinner, I think this literally really happened that when, when the poor would come in, they're like, oh, there's someone, who, there's someone who's rich, there's someone who's poor. The, 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 they favored, they gave preferential treatment. If there's one seat over there, oh, well, that person's rich. Oh, if they start coming to church, you know what? Oh, I see the kind of car they drive. Oh, they drive a Tesla. Oh, they drive a Bentley. Oh, maybe they're going to start tithing, and they could give. And, they, and that's why James says, hey, when you prefer the rich over the poor, you have evil intents. You have evil intention. And when we mistreat people, we're going against the very heart of God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. 
I want you to see how the gospel, the essence of the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 1.26, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called, when God saved you. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But this is where I should expect some amens. But God chose the foolish things of the world, like me and you, to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before God. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Verse 31, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Think about your own life, that God chooses the foolishness. You know in Deuteronomy, people think, oh, why did God choose Israel? Deuteronomy, it says that God chose Israel not because they were the mightiest or the strongest, but because they were the weakest and the smallest little nation of all the earth. Why? That through Israel, through God's election, that His glory and His fame, and that God would be made famous through the election of the weak, of the few, and of the small. You know, uh, I'll never forget this. I met with uh, Pastor Wayne uh, in Oregon. We brought up some kids to, uh, they had a preview day at New Hope Christian College in Eugene, Oregon. And uh, we just had uh, like the preview day. We sat through some classes and, um, and it was me and Pastor Aaron Cordero, his son and uh, Pastor Wayne said, hey, John, Aaron, yeah, could you come with me real quick? I need to run an errand. I'm like, okay. So, cool, running errands with Pastor Wayne, right? And so we go run errands, and he goes, I got to stop by this office real quick. I'm like, okay. And then as we were walking, he said, hey, you guys, uh, we're going to go to uh, uh, a good friend of mine who I've known for over 40 years, and he's a generous donor to the college and to the church. I was like, oh, okay, cool. He goes, I need you guys to listen to me very carefully. James 2 says that you're not to show any favoritism. You know, right now, he has one of the largest painting companies in the Pacific Northwest. Commercial, um, planes, uh, boats, uh, industrial, uh, homes, whatever. He has one of the largest painting companies in the Pacific Northwest. But you know, 40 years ago, when I was a freshman at Bible college, he came into the church. He was uneducated. He was a janitor. And he was asking for people to help him uh, read the Bible. Didn't finish high school. He was asking people to help him, uh, to disciple him and show him the word and to, to invest in him. And nobody wanted to do it. And then I was like, okay, well, I'll do it. And so I was, you know, a Bible college student and he was coming in. So everything I learned, I started pouring into him and discipling him. And while he was a janitor, he, he made his way up. 
and he became the CEO of this company and you know there was a there was a five-figure uh, paycheck that was donated to the college he says never ever forget to this moment that you remember that don't favor don't overlook the poor don't favor the rich because this honors this 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 is this is dishonoring to who God is and I remember during that point I'm like man I love his heart you know what and I love this church you know this church we have uh, homeless people coming in you know, uh, when the custodians say, hey, make sure you lock up, you know, because there's a community park over there and homeless people sleep, sleep in there and, and, you know, lock your cars and make sure everything's locked in here. I'm like, okay. I'm like, and when we do have homeless people come in, man, I, I'm one of the first ones, along with our greeters, to welcome them in. Hey, go have a seat. Are you hungry? You want some sandwiches? We have some freshly made uh, yogurts for you cut up usually by Chris with blueberries and strawberry. How many of you guys just love that, right? How many of you are sick and tired of it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, you know, this one time uh, a homeless person came in and um, she was, you know, physically a, a woman, but just from ministering in downtown LA, I know that um, homeless women, they do everything that they can to be dirty and to be masculine so that they don't get sexually assaulted. And so, uh, so she came in here um, dressed in baggy pants, short haircut, and, you know, and gave, him, uh, gave her food and welcomed her and gave her a gift. I think it was Father's Day around three years ago or two years ago, and then I remember seeing her the following day, no, two days later on Starbucks, right over here. And I was like, hey, how's it going? He goes, whoa, 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 I don't know you. Hey, don't touch me. Don't, don't talk to me. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. But Hebrews says that, man, when you entertain strangers, who knows, you're entertaining angels unaware. A couple weeks ago, we had... Uh, a mentally disabled person with mental illness come in here who was schizophrenic talking talking out loud and one of the ushers like hey pastor should we kick him out and I'm like no let them come in where else are they gonna go so she was walking around speaking Chinese and just and she's always at Aina Haina shopping center but she came into church and Chris Che gave her a big hug welcomed her her English was very broken, but we, we fed her. We welcomed her. I was like, hey, could you sit and worship? But she started becoming loud and a little bit disruptive. So we didn't say, hey, get out. It's like, hey, um, Chris pulled her aside. Is it okay if we go outside and just gently, do you need anything? Here's some water for you to go. It's just, you know, you can't be loud when we're hearing the word of God. And, you know, she doesn't understand. But if, if you have a problem with homeless or mentally ill people coming to this church, the broken, the outcast, this is not the church for you. Because we're going to welcome the poor. 
We're going to welcome the outcast. We're going to carry the heart of God to whom, the, whom society rejects. It dishonors God when we don't show hospitality and we show favoritism to those who are well-off, to those who are rich, while neglecting those who are outcast. And this is what James is about, James chapter 2, that when, when we show favoritism, when we show prejudice, it dishonors God. It is antithetical to this Lord of glory. How could you have faith in Jesus, have this faith, and yet have favoritism? It doesn't go together. It doesn't mix, is what James is saying. And number three, we'll go ahead and close with this. Partiality dishonors God's word. Not only does it dishonor God, not only does it dishonor God's people, but the word of God is being dishonored when you, you and I are showing favoritism. Let's look at verses 8 through 13. Now he turns to scripture. If you look at James' argument here in verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, what happens? You are committing sin and you're convicted by the law as a transgressor or a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I love how James just confronts it right where it's at. Because you and I, we could go to church. We could like, man, I really like that new song. I really like, you know, that goodness of God. It's pretty catchy. Oh, I like that faith works. I like, you know, oh, I like uh, the Filipino word of the day. Lift over. I'm going to use that, right? And you could be like, you, and you could be walking away from church. Yes, Jesus loves me. You could raise your hands. You could even take your communion. Maybe you could even pat your chest when something good happens. Like, mm, that was good. Or maybe you could even regurgitate some of the, the messages here, what you've heard. But in the middle of all this, if you hear about partiality, you hear about favoritism, the unregenerate heart, meaning the person who is not saved, the person who has not been born of the Spirit of God, comes out and says what? You know what? I didn't kill anybody. I didn't commit adultery. I haven't making, broken any major laws. But James' point is this. If you didn't kill anybody, if you didn't commit, you didn't rob any banks, right? If you didn't commit any fraud, but you show favoritism, that in your heart of hearts, your prejudice may be against a certain race, then you have broken the whole law. So what if you don't murder and commit adultery? If you're showing partiality, you've broken the law. If you discriminate, you've broken the law. If you're racist, accidentally or not, you've broken the law. If you avoid the poor, you've broken the royal law of love and you've sinned against God. See, we can't just pick and choose what we want because the whole law is summed up in loving God and loving our neighbor. This is what James says. 
that if we could do all these different things but not love one another, not love the poor, then we become lawbreakers. I'll go ahead and uh, quote with this, end with this quote. It's by um, Tim Keller, who wrote a book on gospel life. Uh, this is what he says. It's, it should be up on the screen. There it is. A merely religious person who believes God will favor him because of his morality and respectability. I'm a moral person. I go to church. I'm a respectable person. I'm educated. Will ordinarily have contempt for the outcast. Why? Look at the reasoning of the moral person. I worked hard to get where I am. And so can anyone else. If anybody else could do it, they can do it. That is the language of the moralist heart. But when a person says, I am only where I am by the sheer and unmerited mercy of God, I am completely equal with all other people, that is the language of the Christian's heart. Here it is. A sensitive social conscience and a life poured out in deeds of mercy to the needy is an inevitable sign of a person who has grasped the doctrine of God's grace. True, undefiled religion is this. Not like this orthodoxy, cold orthodoxy, following uh, doctrines, but a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ is this. James chapter 1, verse 27, to, be, to keep oneself unstained from the world, and what else? To care for the widows and the orphans. To love God, genuine faith is this. A faith that works is a faith that loves God and loves people. A faith that is dynamic, a faith that is attractive is one that looks out for and cares for those who are in need. This is the gospel. If it weren't for the grace of God, I would be that homeless person. If it was not for the grace of God, I would be thrown in jail. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I could be a completely moral person, but completely far away and an enemy of God. And that's why you and I need the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we come in poor in spirit, knowing that we are completely nothing, completely dependent upon the Lord, and we come as a, in the position of a beggar, asking for bread from the bread of life. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you, God, for this morning. Your word is like a two-edged sword, O oh Lord, that it cuts through indifference, that your word slices through hardness of heart, that through your Holy Spirit, the Bible, the word of God, it slices through, Lord God, partiality. So, Father, I pray, God, if there's any prejudice in each one of us, in any of us, Lord, if there's any favoritism, Lord, I know for some of us, we're just perpetuating what we grew up with. Maybe we're favoring one son or one child over the other. But, Lord, I pray, Father, that... We would live out the whole law of love. 
Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you give us grace and strength. And so, Father, uh, we stand firm in the gospel this morning. We stand strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, that through your life, death, burial, and resurrection, we have new life, that we are completely transformed from the inside out. So, Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us to love those who are unlovable. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be generous to those who are in need. Lord, I pray for our, our parenting, O oh Lord Jesus, that you would help us, Lord, to love all of our children equally, but treat them differently, treat them according to their love language, treat them according to what reaches their hearts, but Lord, have that same constant and quality of love for them. And so, Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.